Ethics in the Naval Warrior. I'm your host, Michael Sears, at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership at the United States Naval Academy. My guest is an assistant professor in the Department of Political Science and the Master's Program in Homeland Security at Rider University in New Jersey. Her research has been published on civil wars and insurgencies, international conflict, foreign policy, and creativity and innovation. Currently, she is a fellow at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. Welcome, Dr. Elizabeth Redeshevsky. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here, Elizabeth. Let's go ahead and jump right into this conversation because we're talking about private military and security companies. Can you tell me who they are and what they do? Of course. Uh, Well, they've been in the news recently. Probably you you might be following some uh, recent information about uh, Russia using Wagner Group in places like Africa and Syria. Well, I'm here to tell you a little bit more about these companies specifically the ones that I'm focusing on, and I want to spend a little bit more time uh, on those companies, are uh, legally registered international corporate entities. Um, They have a clear business structure, and they deliver military and security services for monetary compensation. So they've been working for the United States, for the DOD and the State Department, providing logistical support, training militaries and police of other countries, um, providing intelligence and communication services, as well as security for personnel and critical assets. So let me ask you to distinguish between what we're talking about here. You know, the folks who back in the 20th century were mostly called mercenaries and soldiers of fortune. Is there a difference here? Oh, yes, definitely. So there are different species of private military uh, and security contractors. Some of those are basically just individual freelancers. Those will be your soldiers of fortunes. They could be working for anybody for profit. I get it. Yeah. Then you have organizations that are sort of loose um, uh, private military contractor groups that may be uh, in service for a year for a specific project, and then they just disappear and vanish. Then you have organizations that work as an extension of the state, like the Wagner Group for Russia. And then you have another species. This is the one we're talking about. These are the international um, corporations that mostly work for the United States, um, the United Kingdom, Preference here is for democratic governments to work with these more established uh, businesses that have a permanent uh, business structure, clear business structure. So you have your CEO, you have managers, um, they have specific rules about ethics, and they behave a little bit differently, though they're also interested in making money, just like the uh, soldiers of fortune. Why should we be interested in these companies? Why should the folks who are about to go out there in the naval service be interested in knowing about these companies? Well, the United States government has relied on them extensively um, in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, And it's going to continue to be an important focus for us in the future. Uh, U.S. security interests are extensive. They range from competition with China, research in Russia, to limiting the proliferation of the weak states that are havens for terrorists and transnational criminal organizations. So it's going to be difficult for the U.S. government to manage these various security interests, especially as we try to limit interventions by U.S. military personnel into conflict zones. So it's likely that we'll continue to rely on these contractors to address I think at least some of our global concerns. Um, Democratic governments like the United States are definitely going to be relying on these contractors. And they are very professional. They have, like I mentioned before, they offer a wide range of services. So to manage these various security interests, we're going to have to turn to these organizations. So we might as well figure out how to 
maximize the accountability of private contractors that some of the people have been concerned about in the past. And we can talk a little bit more about that uh, as well. Let's touch on that right now, because that kind of goes back to to an earlier question I have. Aren't these the folks who commit human rights abuses in Iraq or, or, or earlier? Um, you know, and aren't they more likely to do that in future conflicts? Well, indeed, um, there have been instances where private contractors have been working for the U.S. government in Iraq and Afghanistan and have committed, uh, committed abuses. For example, um, civilians were killed because contractors fired indiscriminately in Baghdad. We've had the Abu Ghraib prisoner torture scandal. Private contractors were all connected to those unacceptable, unethical behaviors. But I think it's really important for us to also make claims about PMCs that are consistent with what we've seen in terms of the data. And the data is showing that these atrocities or these unethical behaviors are not the norm for the major international uh, private military and security companies. So for example, when I looked at the cases of human rights abuses that were committed in Iraq, from 2003 up to 2019, um, that involved violations of the Fourth Geneva Conventions section on the protection of um, civilians in the armed conflict. I found that 18 out of 122 international uh, uh, private military and security companies that provided services in Iraq were linked to abuses. So that's roughly 15% of companies. Uh, And the number of those abuses was um, 39. So This shows that violations do occur, and yes, there is some concern, but they are also showing, these these numbers are also showing that that, um, abuses are not as frequent as is often assumed. Um, What's different today and heading into the future, there's a lot more pressure on these international companies um, that want to secure contracts from the U.S. government to honor humanitarian principles and behave professionally. So, for example, um, the DOD now requires that companies show that they have developed risk assessment criteria and commitment to uh, practices to reduce human rights abuses in their daily operations. So they have to be certified by an independent third party in this area. Um, So it means that international private military um, and security companies, rather than just any loose mercenary groups or uh, soldiers of fortune are the ones that are going to be actually capable of meeting those certification requirements. And those are the ones that are going to be hired by the U.S. So those are, those are some promising accountability mechanisms. I also want to mention some additional factors that can help um, U.S. government introduce uh, greater accountability. Um, And that's something as simple as dividing contracts among several companies. This creates more peer mentoring pressure and improves uh, professionalism and military effectiveness. So what would you say to a midshipman? I I understand what I'm hearing you say is that for a lot of reasons, number one, uh, there are concerns about putting uh, American military men and women at risk. Uh, in uh, very volatile situations. Number two, there are organizations out there that seem to be uh, well certified to be able to carry out some of these specific missions, not always as trigger pullers, so to speak. It could be logistical people or people with water specialties on top of the fact that they might may be armed uh, combatants, so to speak. What would you say to a junior officer when he or she meets these people in zone, 
Uh, and how do they know whether or not they're reliable and trustworthy? Sure. Well, that's a that's a, a really important question. Um, my first recommendation is that you just give them a chance. I know there is this perception again, um, as you mentioned, because people talk about them and think that they are um, soldiers of fortune. So the assumption is that you know they're just going to do. Uh, crazy things and behave unprofessional, but give them a chance. If you're working with companies that are hired by DOD and state, you can have more confidence that they have been vetted and are more professional. And really things have been improving over the course of recent years. So um, you can also expect more professionalism in the field if, as I mentioned before, you have more than one company that's providing services, because that introduces this uh, peer monitoring. Companies look at each other and they are also trying to ensure that there aren't violations because that's not um, good for their performance and possibility of getting future contracts. Um, another thing you can think about is whether contractors are employed by a, a company that's listed on the stock market. Um, again, my data here on international uh, private military and security companies shows that when you are uh, working with companies that are listed on the stock market, they perform much better in terms of honoring human rights. So greater accountability there as well. They have a profit motive and they're trying to get the next contract. Uh, therefore, they're going to do the best ethical, legitimate job they can. Elizabeth, thank you very much for coming on the show. This has been very informative. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that. Thank you again. You've been listening to Ethics in the Naval Warrior, produced by the Boeing Leadership Innovation Lab at the Stockdale Center for Ethical Leadership. You can find more of our podcasts by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usna.edu.